You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowitz and I'm joined once again by Matt Kendrick after an Aston Villa defeat at Villa Park. Um, I say once again, that's not happened too many times this season, fortunately, but the unbeaten run is over now. We can kind of finally stop talking about that. Um, obviously, I'd rather have got a result than we talk about ending the unbeaten run. However, it is a defeat. It's Aston Villa nil, Chelsea 2. Uh, Matt, I don't think my audio is properly right, so while I try and fix that out, how are you? Is everything okay at your end? Yeah, I'm all right. So I'm just filling for a minute. Just until you go with it, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, not too bad, thanks. It was another flat departure from Villa Park after some positive signs, I thought, first half. I actually didn't get to Villa Park till about 12 minutes after two. Uh, oh, really? So I have subsequently seen... <laughs> I do subsequently realise that we've lost 2-0, not 1-0. Uh, I have seen the... Uh, the first Mason Mount goal on the Toro Mings mistake. Um, mm-hmm. But because I hadn't seen that in the flesh, because I didn't rock up until, like I said, 12, 15 minutes into the game, I was actually encouraged by by the first half performance. I thought that, if anything, Chelsea looked a little bit shaky from from what I saw. And, and Villa, you know, Kepa's had the game of his life. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually thought, you know, we could... We could <sighs> I'll, I'll correct myself. I didn't think we'd get anything out of it still, even at half time, because I knew that Chelsea would adjust and they would realise, Grandpa would realise that what he'd just seen wasn't going to win them the game if he allowed it to continue. Mm. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're trying to cling, cling to positives at the moment. And I thought for certainly the, most of the 45 minutes that I saw the first half, I, I thought there were bright signs. Well, we say when we do these, let's try and keep it to half an hour because we've got other things to do, but you have got to be away tonight in half an hour. So, rather crudely, I'm going to set a time on my phone. We've just hit two minutes. So, I've got 27 minutes and tickets. So, let's cram in some, uh, some great Aston Villa chat. Once that goes off, podcast is over. We've got to be a bit strict with it tonight. <laughs> just going to pull the plug, not even say goodbye. <laughs> well, we'll have our Tara Ming segment, our John McGinn coming off segment, Where's Cameron Archer segment. I'll just copy and paste bits from previous episodes. Um, we'll start with team news. A little bit of, uh, of a change up. No Coutinho, no Brendan. In, in this side, Danning's back in there, Ollie Watkins playing off the left-hand side and Leon Bailey as a front three, um, Ramsey, McGee and Louise as, as the three central midfielders, which again, we've talked a lot about, does that work or not? Still not sure it does. Um, what did you make that, that team news though? You said you got to Villa Park late, but you, you know what the team was at one o'clock? Yeah, I thought the, um, I thought the front three, the front three um, did offer, you know, we actually had a little bit of width Ollie Watkins did try and play off the left uh, more often than not, and, and Bailey was was hugging the touchline more. So I think it gave you it gave you more width than we get sometimes if you've got Coutinho, Coutinho and, and Buendia, um, you know, moving inside the pitch and, and making the pitch narrower. So, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to think think of, of some of the chances. Obviously, the um, Danny's had the header, didn't he? That that came from a wide area from from Bailey. I think cutting back on his left down the right and kept a pulling off a great save from point blank range. Um how did thinking I'm just how did the I'm just trying to remember how the triple save came back from from again Ramsey and uh Yeah it was a nice he, I mean, that was that was just mad. It was like like pinball wizard wasn't it the way it was pinging mm. around the um, the goal it was, one, it was one of the ones that you just sit back and kind of stump back into chair and go, oh we're not scored there. That kind of thing doesn't happen for Villa, does it? In, in the other end of the box, one of those gets a lucky deflection or something and falls to somebody's feet and it's, it ripples the back of the net. When it's Aston Villa, though, it's, uh, yeah, never quite works out in our favour. My dad yeah, thought we'd hit the post twice. 
instead of the keeper save. And I don't know whether one was pushed onto the post. I've not seen anything back apart from obviously being inside the stadium. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he saved all of those. I think um, the last one he pushed onto the post. Uh, did flag had gone up then anyway. Yeah, um, I think, I yeah, think it's savings is one, didn't he? And then the offside flag went up. So I don't know whether he yeah. was offside anyway or whether it was a move after that. But regardless, you still think, oh, come on, how have we not scored there? Yeah, it seemed like it was a force field uh, around the goal. Um, Kepa as well. Oh, Kepa, me and my dad were talking about it. I don't know whether my dad will end up watching this because we've lost. He usually only wins, uh, watches when we win, so he's probably only sitting about three podcasts. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> um, but he was saying, you know, this Kepa, every so often he'll throw a goal in or he'll do something silly. And then, he, yeah, like you said, has the game of his life and he's kind of sunk back into his seat at some point. Oh, I wish I'd never said that about, about him throwing it in. Um, but I think it was six first half save, which was... Yeah, obviously a good performance from him. And you know, we talked a little bit in the last episode about you know what what's Gerard's thought and what's the players. You know, we'll talk about timings in a sec, but him doing that in the first few minutes and then an opposition goalkeeper playing very well is out of Steven Gerrard's hands to an extent. Um, but those are the moments that he talks about that we're missing. Those, those magic moments that we're waiting for for something to happen. And if we do go into that first half one nil up or two nil up because we've taken some of our chances and we've come off the back of Nottingham Forest a win there and a win against Leeds. It is a different conversation, but we haven't. <laughs> so that isn't the conversation we have to face with the reality of we've been rubbish. Yeah, I did wonder. Um, uh, I'm not saying it was done deliberately, but I did wonder if the Ming's header, it definitely wasn't done deliberately. I did wonder if the Ming's header was the, the Glenn Whelan moment, mm. uh, the Glenn Whelan yeah. missed penalty um, that was going to force the issue. But I don't think there was any, any, ever any danger of, of Gerard losing his well. It's understand corrected. We're only three hours after two hours after the game. <laughs> and there's any danger of Gerard losing his job after after today's game. Um I'm not sure today's I, result would have defined Gerard's future. I don't think if it was a six no. 0 drubbing or something silly, then yeah, kind of fair enough. But did anyone expect us to beat Chelsea today? Even if Villa are on good form, you'd still say it's a, a tough game. So well, not the, manager, the manager expected him to wipe the floor with us, didn't he? Yeah, well, uh, I didn't like that. Yeah, so not a fan of that. It's things like that, Dan, where he doesn't do himself any favours. But in terms of the, the mistake for for the opening goal, um, my daughter came to, a, to the match with us today. She's just got mega into football lately. Uh, oh, she'll be but, mega out of football now then. But because because they <laughs> they've not really played before, uh, you know, until the last the last year or so, they're not not quite confident heading the ball yet. So mm. I was hoping to kind of <laughs> show her kind of some of the best approaches to heading the ball on the you know a, a Villa today. Unfortunately, she didn't see the Tyrone Mings one. Uh, because it was proper, proper kind of fifty p head territory, wasn't it? The way it just mm. went in completely opposite direction to uh, to where it was intended. Um, what was the um, for the second goal? I've not seen that back. The free kick decision. It looked a soft one to me. But oh, you're talking about the decision. I, I, I've not thought about the decision, but the, the free kick again. I've only seen it in the stadium. I've literally just rushed home, come, jumped straight on, and barely even said hello to my my partner. But she has made a cup of tea, so I should be more grateful. Um, I've said hello. Um, but just seeing the free kick in person, I thought, what's happened there? It's almost looked like it's gone down the middle of the goal. I don't know there's loads of whip on it and it's moved in the air. Or I don't think it took a deflection. Saw a bit of text on my phone from one of the, like, the live feeds of BBC Sport or whoever it was saying that Martinez took a step to the one side and then kind of sold himself and couldn't get, get over to it. But again, it looked like we've conceded from timings heading it right to Mason Martin, he scores, and a free kick from not a mega dangerous area like... Again, if that was a Villa free kick, it would have gone into the wall or over the bar, miles into the sky. Yeah, it's, but it's Mason Mount pulls out a goal out of nowhere, and I think, oh my god, how's that even gone in? I've seen I've seen it back on on YouTube since I've come back, and it got a lot of whip and dip and a lot of whippage, schwaz, whatever or <laughs> whatever it is. It got a lot on it. The ball moved a lot. But the thing that thing that struck me, 
I thought it must have had a deflection at first because it didn't go in the corner. It was, mm-hmm. you know, not in the middle of the goal, but it was halfway, do you know what I mean? A quarter of the way <laughs> in from the right post. Savable. Well, yeah, but the, the thing that struck me, both at the game and, and looking back, I think the wall was further back than 10 yards. Really? It looked a long way back, which allowed the ball to get up mm-hmm. and down. Um I don't know, but I might just be making excuses, but it did seem it seemed like the Villa defence retreated further than they need to, needed to. Mm. Whether, the, whether the referee made them do that, I can't even remember the, the process. No, uh, I can't. But yeah, I think I think that was that was the difference, wasn't it? That Villa weren't clinical enough in forward areas and let themselves down, shoot, shot themselves in the foot um, mm. with avoidable errors. And Chelsea, I thought Chelsea were lucky to be leading at half time from what I'd seen. Mm-hmm. But I thought that I thought that, you know, we're saying it is today down to the Villa's players or is it down to Gerard? I still think it's a mixture of both. Yes, Gerard's not responsible for Villa not, you know, failing to, to score guilted chances. But equally I think he was outcoached in the second half. I think Potter realised that there were issues with his team. He put Koulibaly on, didn't he? Um mm-hmm. In that kind of left defensive area, which looked like an area where Villa were having some some joy in the first half, and you know, I think Chelsea knew that with a controlled performance, one nil would be enough, and Potter was able to exert that influence with the changes that he made. Um, yeah, you had um, Sterling kind of playing left wing back as well, didn't you? And I thought, you know, maybe there's some joy for, for Leon Bailey down that side, and then. Loftus Cheek goes over to that side afterwards. Sterling goes further forward and then hits a crossbar not far, not long after going further forward up the pitch. Aspilicueta came on at half time as well, and Kudabali. And you think they've just got the tactical, tactical flexibility and the personnel to change it. And you just thought there's no way. I mean, Chelsea weren't that good. I was, I was about to say there's no way they'll be that bad in the second half. It wasn't Chelsea being bad. It was, but I just thought that's Chelsea's bad half out of the way. They'll be markedly improved in the second half. And we're already one yeah. 0 down. We scored. You know, three goals in the last four games. You know, if Villa are going to win a game, they they score one goal and it's a one nil win at the moment, or, or one all draw. So if Chelsea go to two nil, it's definitely game over because you know we won't even score two goals to come back and draw the game. Never mind three goals to win it. So at one nil, you do kind of sit there and I don't know how many other people at Villa Park today are watching on TV, conceding after what was it seven eight minutes or something. And I thought game over then. The best we'll do today is a draw, a one all draw, because so we won't score two goals to win it. That's yeah, I think, that's ball. I think the point you've just made there is key because, you know, in terms of Potter identified, made the changes at the right times, continued making the changes. I think he used up all of his five substitutes in, by the end of the game in terms of... Certainly uh, four, yeah. terms of, of, of game management. But, you know, to be fair, he's got a, <laughs> you know, more of a starring star cast... On his bench, so he's got an array of substitutes who can 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 make kind of horses for courses adjustments adjustments to games. Mm. We don't know whether Gerard's got that because I don't think he trusts enough of his squad to try them. I don't think he's as tactically flexible and and you know as able to make those in game changes. But it could be different I if, if I don't, I don't think any of us. I don't think, yeah, that, that is true. That we, you know, if we potentially we're turning up at half time on another day, and we kind of said that a few times, it could have been different against Forest, could have been different against Leeds, could have been different against Man City, um, but it wasn't, so it isn't. Um, I don't think the changes made sense to me. 
I didn't really know what we were trying to do later in the game. I think McGinn comes off for Coutinho and Coutinho is playing midfield and Dendonka comes on for Ramsey to, to cover a little bit. But you just think, well, you know, Coutinho tried to make us a bit more attacking and then Dendonka's make us a slick attacking from, from Ramsey. The front three is Bailey and, and Watkins, who are still the kind of narrow tens, but certainly more wide than, than Coutinho and Brendia have been in, in recent games. And then when that's not quite working or you need a little bit more, you go, right, Coutinho, get on there, Brendia, get on there. But you can't make light for light changes because we've got rid of all our other wingers. So Ollie Watkins is playing a lot down the left-hand side and running in and trying to put balls in the side, into the box and Bailey the same. But you can't bring on, and then these aren't the answer, but you can't bring on Troy Oro or Trezeguet or Algarzi and stick to the same system because we've got no out-and-out wingers on the bench anymore. The only way you can change it is by bringing those narrow number 10 players back on and the system reverts to type and it's very narrow and very stodgy and nothing comes from the last... I mean, nothing comes from the second half, to be honest. We made a lot of changes, a lot of chances in the first half, but the second half... We were totally blunt, I thought, and as much as Chelsea stepped it up and identified problems, they also didn't have to get out a second year to get a result today. Yeah, I was, t- I was talking, um, I say talking, I was conversing on, on Twitter with a, a, a Twitter account, Talking Tactics, the other day. It's a very good account, actually. Really, is able to, <laughs> you know, pick apart game better than we can. But the point I wanted to make was the, the reason I was talking to him was how managers in press conferences don't like to receive questions about tactics mm. from from journalists because they, they think it's always a criticism. When for me, sometimes, like you've just said the substitutions. I don't know, I've not been to a press conference today, but I imagine if a journalist would have had asked Gerard about those questions, about those, those substitutions today, he would have probably got the hump as if to say, why are you questioning me? I know better mm. than you. Whereas actually, it could have been, just explain it to us. It's an education moment, isn't it? I don't explain quite understand what you've done. Educate me, yeah. Exactly. And this is not peculiar to Gerard. There's, there's lots of managers who Agreed. I've seen being questioned on tactics and think, you know, how dare, you know, see it as a criticism rather than a, right, you're the coach, you're working on this game plan, you're sharing, you know, you're trying to get this philosophy over the line. Just explain it to us. Um, I mean, maybe they don't want to give stuff away. Is a potential reason for, but I mean, is that is the much you know, kind of cloak and dagger over changing Coutinho well, for Wendell? Credit is it because you know yeah. what I mean? You, you'd think that you'd think that their opponents would work it out, even if even if us dumb journalists wouldn't. Uh, but yeah, so it was. I think it was a mixture. It was a it was a mixture of us not being, you know, not not taking our chances. And then when Chelsea made their changes to exert control on the second half, not really having an answer for it. Mm. Um, second half, you know, I've seen Gerard saying that we had good 60 minutes and a poor 30. I'm not sure. Did, did we have a good 15 in the second half? Not really that sure. Perhaps I've got a short memory. Uh, but other than a couple of set pieces that have, you know, had headers a long way off off target. I don't think we've we've massively threatened in the second mm. half, and I don't think Chelsea have been really tested. And the thing that 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 surprised me as well, and I know they're a good team, a very good team, but just how easy they were able to play their way out of our half-arsed press. press. <laughs> um, no, no. Just you know, two or three passes, you know, without having to break a sweat. Um, but yeah, so it leaves us. What does it leave us? Point wise, is it ten nine points, games? Nine ten points? games, less than a point per game now. I mean, we were kind of joking about it, going, "Oh, we've got we know a point per game." If we carry up over the course of the season, it'll be thirty-eight points. But it's you know, it's not exactly great. We're now on track for less than that. It's only by one point less than per game, but still 
to crap. Um, Not even night night porridge at the moment, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and bizarrely, you know, we kind of say all what we said about the game so far, but it was probably one of our better performances. Certainly in the first half, it was, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of the Spurs game at home last season. Yeah. We created a lot of chances in the first half. You think, oh, we've done well here against a good style. Like we should be winning two or three nil. Like if you know, on another day, if we're clinical and ruthless. We we're winning at half time, and then they suddenly make a few tweaks and their world class players come into play in the second half and they get something out of nothing and win the game. I mean, obviously Spurs a lot more comfortably than Chelsea today, but then you know, we kind of give them the goal in, in the first ten minutes or so, and then Mason Mount scores that free kick in the second. But besides that, Chelsea weren't really. You know, cutting us apart, being super dangerous, or having loads and loads of chances, and you think, "Oh my God, we're you know really being battered here." You, you know, on another day, like I say, rubbish phrasing. It keeps on another day. This potentially this, if that. I mean, it wasn't any of that, so there's no point going on about it. But a better Aston Villa side should have got something today, and we haven't because we're not a good enough side. Yeah, it's the thing that that struck me today as well was. Was there any chance today in terms of was it, the atmosphere seemed yeah. so subdued? Very flat, yeah. I mean, you missed the opening again. That's the, kind of the best bit, isn't it? Teams come out and a couple of chance early doors and then you can see it early and that, that's the end of it really. And I think the second goal absolutely killed it in terms of atmosphere and any kind of... Well, we all knew, like I said, at 1-0, I sat there and thought, well, we won't get back into this at 2-0. Absolutely, certainly no chance we get back into this. And that does kill it. Very, you know, loads of empty seats at 80 minutes or so. Took like the Gerard out chance and stuff in a sec. But yeah, really flat. What do you expect? Yeah, I mean, we've spoken briefly, haven't we, about this this disconnect between the the manager and the fan base. But I think, I don't know what what a mutual appreciation society. What is the opposite of that? Mm. <laughs> a mutual yeah. annoyance society, or what? Because that's <laughs> what we've we've got at the moment. I just don't think that. This is a sweeping generalisation, which is what you come to Claret and Blue podcast for. But I just don't think Aston Villa fans like Gerard, and I don't think Gerard likes Aston Villa fans. Mm. To be honest, I think it's just you know we we saw we saw at the end again, didn't we? Where I think he shook the hands of pretty much everybody on the pitch, officials, opponents, his own players. Mm. Um, yet didn't even look, didn't even look up to the stands to acknowledge. The Villa fans, let alone let alone applaud them and disappear. Well, on the obviously you missed the start, and we're sitting in the same stand, but different parts of Europe are here. I'm lower, so I've obviously I'm looking around the stadium. I can only really see what individuals are doing in my kind of little block that I'm looking around down at. I'm kind of eight nine rows back, so I can see. I'm by the dugout. He walks all the way along the front of me, and I'm watching as many people as I can. Applause for the team as they come out. Gerald obviously comes out thirty seconds or whatever after the players do. Not many people clapping him even before the game. You know, obviously, they all kind of look up and give a little applause, and there was that, but there was nothing back. And then it was kind of like heads down, just walk straight to the dugout because they're not giving me anything, so I'm not going to give them anything. Is how I saw it. Oh, I didn't clap him on the way through, clap the players, didn't clap the manager. I said before, so that's almost a little bit of a superstitious thing from my point of view. Like, we're losing at half time. I don't clap them out afterwards because I think, oh, don't, you don't do that. Bit. Make me clap you is how I think of it. And it's a, a stupid superstition thing that I've done for ages. If we're losing, I won't clap. But I just thought, I've, just don't care anymore about Steven Gerrard. It's my it's how I feel about yeah, it. It's, horrible I, don't get it. I don't think it's gonna change. So, you know, again, prove me wrong. I might look like an idiot by not supporting you for minute one, the manager. I've supported the players. If we win today, I'm gonna to come on here and go, you got it right. And to be fair, tactically, I don't think it is as much on Gerard today as it has been in other games, like where you thought, well, what are we doing or what are we trying to do? It's very clear that 
get it to Mings, get it to Ashley Young or whoever, long balls down to Watkins or Bailey and try and get a ball into the box rings. And on occasion that did work and we did make chances. So it's a lack of confidence or ability or finesse or technical ability or whatever that we're not able to stick the ball in the back of the net. So, yeah, you know, like we said, if we do win today because the players manage to finish the dinner and timing doesn't give away an early goal, we're all sitting there going, oh, Gerald's changed it and we've won. Fair play to him. But again, we didn't. So we have to question it. But I think this this sense of disconnect between the, the fans and the manager means that even the good bits are hard for people to get, you know, to really, really enjoy or get behind or to to view as a as a turn of a corner because there's this already too much kind of bad blood in a way. It's like the um Oh, analogy time. It's like the um, it's like the, the the final stages of a relationship to me. That even even if Gerald's Jer- doing nice things, like we saw with the first half today, even even if he's buying flowers, you know, he's still he's left his pants around the, the place <laughs> on the floor and stunk the place out so many times that we don't really we don't those gestures aren't <laughs> enough. Do you know what I mean? I get this real, and like I say, this this doesn't want. I don't want to kick Stephen Gerald today because I don't think in terms of managing the football club, in terms of the team that he picked and the way that he set them up to start the game. I don't. I think it was more right than we've seen in recent weeks. But I just can't get away from this sense that, you know, even if he wins games, I almost get the sense that do it in spite of Villa, Villa fans, not for mm. Villa fans. Um, and I've probably been too harsh here, but it's just, I don't know, it just feels so kind of almost him and us, which I think mm. is a horrible place to be with a with a manager who's kind of holding, you know, holding our hopes in his hands, really. It's horrible that we, we don't have that, that, that sense, sense, the sense of warmth. Mm. I never thought we'd talk about Stephen Giles' dirty underpants on, on this podcast, <laughs> but yeah, here we are. And me and my dad were talking about on the way there, he said about, you know, people say about it, like he's not likeable and stuff, and I'm not sure where that comes from. Like he seems to have a laugh with some of the journos and stuff in the press conferences. But it's just something, again, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's just... And again, we've talked about this before. If Stephen Gerrard was a successful Villa manager, it wouldn't be that his comparisons to, well, he's not Dean Smith. He's not a Villa fan. Yeah. Because he's winning games, so it doesn't matter. But it's almost like because he's followed Dean Smith and we had that connection with him and he seemed like a nice, friendly guy. And I mean, Stephen Gerrard is probably a lovely human being in reality. I've never met him. You've met him once in a press dinner or whatever. You've never met him in a physical work capacity of interviewing him and stuff like that. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy. But it's just something where I just think, like you said, if we'd have won, there'd be some comment in there that would warm me up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's something that's going to work. I mean, you think that's a bit arrogant, it's a bit cocky or whatever. So that comment yesterday, I mean, me and Ash, I think, spoke about it on the preview about Perslow saying that we've been unlucky this season. It's like, oh, I don't like that because we haven't been unlucky, we've been crap. And Gerard saying, like, you know, Chelsea, you know, it's like Chelsea should come to Villa and walk the floor with us. It's like, you're representing us. Like we can sit here as fans and go, "Oh yeah, I expect Man City to be us ten nil or whatever because they're this and we're this." But the, you're the manager. You're the face of it. You're supposed to go out there and say, "We can win every single game." That's the attitude you're supposed to have. So I'll just watch that clip yesterday. But well, actually, I saw the quote first and thought, "Oh, it's probably just been ca- taken out of context." Or whatever. I thought it was made up that quote. I didn't believe. Yeah, and, it. I, was, and I saw the full clip with the context of a you know a minute and a half of other nonsense, effectively. And I thought, oh, "That's worse." It's worse with the context of like building Chelsea up and crying pot of this and crying pot of that. Oh, great to have young English managers and they should come to Villa Park and walk the floor with us. I don't know why I went after seeing that because I thought, well, what are we going to do then? 
Mate, you want That's to walk the floor with them pants that he's leaving around? Yeah, he's, yeah good, good, good. Uh, there's a few comments saying stuff like, you know, we're all kind of really, really Gerardian and wanting to get rid of Smith in the back of it, the, the, back, the tail end of his era. I was never really massively Smith out at any point, even right up until the end. Like, I thought, yeah, this is, you know, time up kind of thing. I understood why. But I also would have understood if you'd have said, well, what we're actually going to do is give Dean Smith the next eight months and the rest of the season. I'd have gone, okay. Fair enough, I understand that as well. Today, if you say, we're going to sack Gerard or give him the rest of the season, I'll be going, mm, I'm not sure about giving him the rest of the season. Whereas with Dean Smith, I could have at least gone, well, I can kind of see why maybe that would be the case. But I can also see why he's been sacked. With with Gerard, it's I don't I don't see a scenario where he turns it around. So I don't I don't really know what we're waiting for. Do we have to lose to Fulham on Thursday night before he finally gets gets the axe? Or do we win against Fulham and then that prolongs it a little bit and a little bit? I don't know. I just don't get it anymore. I don't know what we're doing to be honest. It's very it's very close to Smith in terms of points per games now. I think Smith. Yeah, the record Smith, is similarly bad. Yeah. Yeah, Smith was sacked wasn't he? eleven games and and ten points. I mean, I didn't really want. Dean Smith sacked, but I understood why he was sacked ultimately. Yeah, and I wasn't the biggest champion for bringing Stephen Gerrard in, but as soon as he came through the door, I was actually quite impressed by the way he mm-hmm. carried himself. You know, his first presser when he was very respectful. He started well as well. Um, yeah, obviously had the new manager bounce and thought, actually, you know, this guy comes with a big reputation, but he's clearly been cutting his teeth in a, in a difficult environment in, in Scotland. And he can bring some gravitas and, and get some get some high standards. Um, mm-hmm. Not that you know, not not that the standards were particularly sloppy. I don't think under Dean Smith, but I thought it was a, an exciting fresh start. Um, but we're a year on. I was quote about progression. Yes, that was it. The other one, and this was I don't know if it was an embargo presser comment, but it came out yesterday about you know I can see signs of improvement since we've been here, and I came in and it was five defeats and. We were 16th, two points off the bottom three. It's like, we're 16th, two points off the bottom three now. I think we're 16th, one point point off the bottom three now after the game. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. It was a a pre-game quote that it was. But it's like, in what world is that progression? Is it progression just in the the last five games before the sacking? It's five in a row losses for Dean Smith, whereas if Gerald was sacked tonight, he'd be going, well, I was unbeaten in four of those five, so that's progression. But over the course of the calendar year, we're actually worse off than we were under, under Dean Smith. And aiming, you know, heading in this kind of rudderless, what are we kind of scenario of, of what our tactics is, who our best player is, players are, what what is plan A, what's plan B, what are we going to do this season? Will we finish top ten? Is it a relegation fight? Will Stephen Gerrard be manager or not? And that's a, a horrible, rubbish situation to be in. And we've said exactly the same things on every single podcast for at least three or four episodes in a row now. Now I started the season after the Bournemouth game, going, Gerrard doesn't have a good good next few weeks. He's on thin ice, and he's still here. Two months later, on thin ice that's getting thinner every single every single game. At what point is that ice going to crack and we have to go right? Well, this clearly isn't working. Time to make a change. How many more defeats do we have to sit through before we go right? Damage done. Let's start again. Yeah, well, I think there was um, obviously Chelsea chant fans were taunting him with the old sacked in the morning chants, and I think I've, re- I've read some of his post match press conference comments where he says that he heard a few people from the Holt end, a group in the Holt end, he's aware of joining in as well so I don't know who those guys are but um, you could hear it from the upper hole people joining in with that and there was again he was booed down the tunnel from the people in, in and around that tunnel area so like we said last game once the away fans turned there was a chance of Gerard out then and it might have only been a couple of hundred or whatever or, or tens even but the longer that goes on again home fans turn if we, lo- if we do lose on Thursday night against Fulham or we, even if we don't win to be honest I still think there's going to be some kind of disgruntlement towards him and 
like we said at the start, I don't know whether that kind of touchy relationship can be made up now. What's he going to do? Like win three or four in a row for the first to go? Okay, actually, I'm warming to you, Stevie G. Yeah, I think I think the the thing is, when was the last? I don't want to sad. I want to make a big deal about it and never talk about anything. But but when was the last time he did go over and acknowledge the Villa fans? Was it the last Man City game? Southampton. So Obviously. when we've when we've got a result, so yeah. when is that because he's a little bit ashamed of the performance and doesn't want to put himself in that situation? Does he think that he should only acknowledge the support when we've won games? Because that seems a bit or one or, or or had impressive draws. Mm. Seems a very strange strategy for me. And it change all, it then if you're ashamed of the performance, he's change it. Yeah, or just front it. Well, ideally change it. Yeah, but if. if <laughs> If that's proving harder than we think, as it tends to be, just front it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's I don't know. It, it all plays into this feeling that he's just passing through. He's mm. just passing through on the Stevie G Roadshow. Uh, you know, in his mind, we're lucky that that he decided to stop and bring his, you know, bring his brand to us. And I just think, yeah, thanks for no, that. no. You know, and if you are, if, if we are to be blessed by the, the the Stevie G brand, you know, at least give us something good to remember mm. you by if you are passing through, because um, mm. it's still still pretty miserable despite that that strong first half today. Let's see what the next game brings. We've got Fulham and we've got Brentford. Um, we'll have a very we'll have been able to measure Stephen Gerrard's performance at the start of the season versus Dean Smith's performance at the, the start of last season. Um, Let's see how he squares up. He's going to need something spectacular, I think, to, to convince us that he deserves longer than Smith and that he can actually build something something lasting here. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Um, there is 28 seconds left on our timer, so we've come to a, a natural conclusion, but we haven't really spoken about timing, and I feel like we've probably got to speak about it a little bit. So if you can stay on for another couple of minutes. Um, <sighs> thing is, I mean, the thing that annoys me with the timing thing, it's not the mistake and the football thing, because mistakes happen and he's probably been our best performer so far this season the thing that annoys me and there'll be people who are of this mindset who are anti-tyramings and don't like him but end up watching this podcast saying oh, I'm just sticking up for him I'm just defending him what do you know you just, you, you, you've always supported him so um, that's the timer um, <laughs> sorry um, but it's like people coming out going there was a comment that came through on YouTube on our last podcast while I was at the game some service came through and I finally I got a notification and it was like Captain Calamity what a surprise get rid of him now that was during the game where someone hopped onto YouTube to send a hateful comment about Tyron Mings just because he's had this not flawless season so far but he's been much improved this year and the minute he makes a mistake it's this oh get him out he's useless always makes a mistake he makes a mistake every single game it's like do we really have to go through that every time somebody makes a mistake? Like, I know we've slagged off a lot of players this season. It was a bad mistake. It, it, it's killed the game, effectively, because like I've said, it wouldn't come back. Yeah, it's effectively, it's back it's effectively back. lost us the game. So we can dig yeah. him out. You can't Absolutely. defend a, a, defend, a, a centre-half. shouldn't be heading the ball. shouldn't effectively yeah. claim, claim two assists today for both goals. <laughs> well, yeah. for the first one and a foul for the second one. I've not seen that second foul back. So... You know, Slag off the, the performance and the, yeah, the, the mistake. Should, Absolutely, it should, be better. It should yeah. be better, but I'm confident that it will be better. Mm. You know, I'm confident that, that over the course of the season, you know, he, he helps us out more often than he lets us down. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's been proven this season. That's his. All this like he makes a mistake every game. He costs us goal every game. This kind of hyperbolic hyperbole that comes with it. Um, 
he doesn't. He's had seven or eight very good games this season. That's his first real mistake of the season. And hopefully, you know, it's another 10 games or so before he does make another mistake, <laughs> obviously at least. Um, I just don't like the kind of hatred that comes with Torrem yeah, making it's, mistakes. It's Boy, a football thing though, Dan, isn't it? You know, I think we've spoken before. Is it a football thing or is it just a horrible people No, thing? I think football clubs have, football fans have scapegoats, don't they? You know, mm. and he, he's become a scapegoat for whatever reason, whether it's his performance on the pitch we spoke before, whether it's his politics, whatever, whatever it is. But on days like today, where he's, he's picked out Mason Mount with a with a, a header straight into his path. You, you can't you, you can't defend. Yeah, I'm not defending. All you can do is base it on what, what he's done before, how he's bounced back from from mistakes, and how he's you know been been a good leader for Villa. So I expect him to be a good leader. I mean, we're gonna have a battle. He's got a battle, hasn't he, against Mitrovic on on um, yeah. Was it Thursday night we play? And then on Sunday, we've got Ivan Tony, who's in the form of his life. Um, so let's see. Let's see. The gauntlet's thrown down for him. I thought he got a bad injury, to be honest. The way yeah, he went yeah. down, he landed funny towards the end of the game. So I was chuffed to see that he was back up on his feet. Um, mm. So let's hope he's fully fit, because I'd rather face those next two opponents with Tyrone Mings at the start, at the heart of our defence than with alternatives, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Um, I was going to talk about a couple more individuals, but uh, I don't really see the point. I was just going to say about McGinn being subbed off again. We talked about it. We're going to see what I said last podcast about it again. Don't think it's a good look, but the player's not performing. I actually thought McGinn was better, which was a surprise. I thought it was probably one of his better games this season, but he still gets dragged off after 70 minutes or so, and you kind of think, oh, is this sub going to even make a change anyway? I'm not so sure. Hang on um, a minute. You told me to, I've got to stand for two minutes to talk about Tyrone Mings, mate. I'm not going for the whole team. I know, that's why I'm trying to wrap up. Um, can you just give me your kind of 30 seconds summary of of today and the situation? Because like you said, it's only three hours after full time. There is the possibility that there is a club statement at some point. And if there is, we'll have to do another podcast at some point. Um, but let's just say that Stephen Joe will still be in charge come Thursday night. How do you kind of assess that whole situation? Just wrap it up in a nice bow for me so I can stick this clip on social media. Oh, God, no pressure. Um <laughs> Aston Villa nil, Chelsea two. Today's <laughs> <laughs> um, classified results. I don't know. You know, I, I don't think Chelsea, Aston Villa versus Chelsea was not going to be Steven Gerrard drinking in the last chance saloon. Uh, mm. But I think um, as he as he approaches the bar against Fulham and Brentford, I think his chances are receding quickly. I think not only in terms of tangible rewards of points, uh, and victories and the position in the table, but also in terms of this deteriorating relationship um, with the people who, you know, should have the closest bond with the manager. So I think Villa Park, it'd be interesting. Villa Park was pretty flat, as we've said today. Um, be interesting what it's like next Sunday, to be honest. And I think, I think we need, we, I think Villa Park is going to be a not very nice place next Sunday if we emerge with anything less than a point at Fulham. Um, even if we emerge with a point, I think it's still going to be a pressure cooker atmosphere for him. Uh, and I've said it before, I think we, we just, I think we're still approaching the end game and I think we're delaying the inevitable, but it's up to Gerard and he's, it's up to Gerard to produce another performance like the, the first 45 today. And it's up to his players to actually help the manager by sticking the ball in the net and mm. increasing that goal tally of what? Seven? Seven from 10 games? It's pretty bleak, isn't it? Mm. What odds would you give me on 
Gerard being sacked after Thursday and Neil Critchley caretaker manager for Sunday? I don't know. I, I still think. I still think, as I've said all along, I think it's. I think as soon as Villa drop into that bottom three, I think then it really focuses the minds of Christian Perslow and the board because that potential financial meltdown of, of losing the Premier League money suddenly thinks, and got a bit, we've got to address this. I think while we're still hovering above it, I think there's going to be a resistance to get rid of him and abandon the project. Uh, but having said that, we could be pretty close. We were already pretty close to that, that bottom three anyway. So I don't know. I've, I think I've fudged, fudged the answer there, haven't I? No, uh, that'll do. Um, which a point. I mean, a point from the relegation should be setting off alarm bells. No one actually dropping into the bottom three. I'd, I'd rather we sort things before it's too late, to be honest. And you know, it's not like we're bottom of the league and about to be cut adrift. But we've said for weeks and weeks, we don't see any signs of, of things improving. Although we were slightly better for 45 minutes today or 60 minutes, as Gerald liked to say, we, we made some chances and could have been different if we'd actually scored a couple of those. But it wasn't. So we've not seen enough to make us go, yeah. He needs the rest of the season. Like it's now each game goes by. You think, is this the one? Is this the one he goes? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, but we'll see what happens over the next week. There's still another long three or four days until our next game on Thursday night. So if something does happen before then, obviously we'll come on and talk about it. We'll do a match preview for the Fulham game regardless. And then we'll be back, I assume you and me again, Thursday nights on Amazon Prime. So jump on at full time. Yeah, you might need to ping me a link or so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll get it. I'll buy it legitimately. Don't worry. Okay, good. For any of those kind of dodgy fans park outside my house. (laughs) Yeah, okay. All right, enjoy the rest of your evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the comments as well. Uh, I was trying to read them, but there's a lot of animosity and a lot of arguing amongst people in the comments as well, which is just the nature of where we are, isn't it, with with Villa at the moment. Matt, thanks for your time. As ever, go and enjoy the rest of your evening with whatever whatever you're up to next, Um, and we'll uh, speak in the next few days. Cheers, everyone. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.